Support comes from Mosby Building Arts, a design-build company committed to remodeling the right way. Visit callmosby.com to get project inspiration for any room of your house. From the St. Louis Public Radio Newsroom, this is The Gateway. It's Thursday, September 10th. I'm Wayne Pratt. A Missouri S&T professor says racism is part of the English language and teachers need to be taught skills to fix it. Skills with how to talk to people who sound different from you and how to get good at that. Sarah Hercula's book, Fostering Linguistic Equality, lays out a plan, and St. Louis Public Radio's Jonathan All talks with her in just a few minutes. A group of consultants and local leaders is releasing recommendations for improving downtown St. Louis. As St. Louis Public Radio's Corinne Ruff reports, the lead consultant on the year-long project says the key is giving people more reasons to spend time downtown. Scott Page, an urban planner with Interface Studio, has helped design downtowns from Fargo, North Dakota to Atlanta, Georgia. What's unique about St. Louis, he says, are the historic amenities here, like the Gateway Arch, the National Blues Museum, and of course, sports teams like the Cardinals. But he says there aren't enough people spending time in between those attractions. Over the next decade, he hopes projects to improve infrastructure and green spaces will draw more people downtown. More people living there, more people operating their businesses there, more people visiting and spending time outside. Those are the things that make the biggest difference to addressing concerns around safety in downtown. St. Louis residents have until October 4th to share feedback on the plan. I'm Corinne Ruff, St. Louis Public Radio. Officials in St. Louis City and County are easing coronavirus-related restrictions on youth sports. Starting tomorrow, children under 14 in the county will be able to compete in sports that involve moderate risk contact, such as volleyball or soccer. Katie Smith is one of the leaders of the regional task force that creates recommendations on how schools can restart youth sports. She says that group recommends loosening restrictions for athletes 14 and younger because the rate of coronavirus transmission in that age group is relatively low. Even when there were increases, they were always far less than that 15 to 19-year-old group, um, which leads us to believe that they're just not transmitting, even with as much community transmission as we have. St. Louis is allowing children to resume practices, but will only allow competition in running and other low-contact sports regardless of age. The Collinsville School District has brought students back to classrooms this week after starting the academic year virtually. As St. Louis Public Radio's Ryan Delaney reports, it comes as other schools in the region have closed because of possible exposure to coronavirus. Collinsville Superintendent Brad Skirdich says his district started the year remotely because several staff members were infected or exposed to the virus. But he says staff are healthy and students need to be back in school. And we had that opportunity and we thought we could do it in a safe path. So we took it and um, and made that decision to come back to have uh, in-person instruction. In nearby Edwardsville, kindergartners through fifth graders are in their second week of being in school five days a week. Older grades are still on a hybrid schedule. In St. Louis County, Rockwood's superintendent said last week his district will soon bring its youngest students back. Meanwhile, two Catholic elementary schools in the county are closed for two weeks, following a teacher who works at both testing positive for COVID-19. I'm Ryan Delaney, St. Louis Public Radio. A program that brings drug treatment, job training, and dispute de-escalation to some of St. Louis's most violent neighborhoods has received a $1 million boost. Governor Mike Parson has announced a federal grant for the Urban League's Serving Our Streets initiative. The funding will allow the program to expand to four more neighborhoods. 
Parson says he knows the additional money is not enough to solve the city's crime issues. Until the communities, the churches, and the people in the neighborhoods, along with law enforcement, along with the state, figure out a solution to work together. Look, at some point, you're going to have to have more community involvement, which is what they're all doing here, but you're also going to have to have more community involvement in the police. Parson avoided questions about whether the state's loose gun laws contribute to violence in St. Louis. As of Tuesday, 191 people have been killed this year, the vast majority by firearms. A professor at Missouri University of Science and Technology says the notion that there is a proper way to speak adds to racist views in modern society. English professor Sarah Hercula has written a book on the topic, and St. Louis Public Radio's Jonathan All sat down with her to talk about her ideas. Language is one of the most essential ways that we use to situate ourselves as humans. Um, it's, a, it's a true um, factor in our identities. And people tend to view language differently somehow than race or gender because they, they claim that it can be changed, right? You can't change um, your race. You can't, um, you can't very easily at least change your gender or things like this. But what you can do is you can learn a new language. And all of us are uh, equipped to do that. And so the argument is, well, this is different. But the truth is that language is just as much a part of our identities as any of the other factors that we are born into. Um, so, so that argument about um, being able to change your language uh, is, is um, it's more complicated than it might seem. Uh, first of all, because it's such an important part of our identities. And so asking someone to change their language is uh, akin to asking them to change other major aspects of their identity. But secondly, people have differential access to um, languages of power and privilege. And so it's it's not as easy as one might think to just say, learn standard English or mainstream English or some kind of English of power, um, especially if you um, are in an area or at a school or um, growing up in a place where that language is not widely spoken and therefore not widely um, um, accessible for that person. So in other words, language is always a part of any kind of discrimination because we use language as one of our primary ways to situate ourselves in the world. So are, is what you're saying that through research and education, everyone needs to learn that different dialects are completely acceptable and have no reflection on someone's intelligence, economic level, class, or anything like that? I suppose that's the goal. In the end, it would be, it would be great for, um, you know, for us to see uh, linguistics-focused um, curriculum integrated in K-12 schools, for example, that focused less on moving everybody towards some perceived standard that everyone needs to learn, and instead teaching folks how to, um, for example, um, skills with intercultural communication, right? Skills with how to talk to people who sound different from you and how to get good at that, right? Um, how to learn um, how to talk with other people and how to listen. Um, those, I think, would be better um, skills in some way from a linguistic perspective than teaching everybody the, the kind of standard way of speaking and of writing. Um, you know, there's no way to flip a switch and to make this happen suddenly. It would take a lot of work, but I think developing a sense of um, 
better attitudes toward language diversity, but then also better skills with linguistic accommodation and, and, um, and, and intercultural communication would really benefit a lot of people and would, would go a long way toward helping with language bias. That can be really tricky, though, because if someone emulates a different dialect that can also all, that can often be perceived as being patronizing or insulting. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think I'm advocating for someone to necessarily um, uh, emulate or try to speak a different dialect or a different variety. Um, for example, in my uh, in my book, I, I talk about my approach in which students uh, who are not native speakers of these dialects learn about African American English and Chicano English and Appalachian English. My goal in the class is not to make them fluent speakers of those dialects. Um, instead, my goal is to help them learn, first of all, the principles of linguistics, which they learn by studying these dialects, but also to learn that these dialects are just as rule governed and systematic as the one that they speak or as any other dialect. How do we overcome linguistic bias? Yeah, it's a great question. It's one I've spent lots and lots and lots of time thinking about. Um, I think that we're in a particular moment right now um, as we're thinking about the Black Lives Matter movement and in, in these, um, you know, these, these moments where we've seen ordinary people kind of step up and say, that's enough about these really longstanding systemic issues that we've seen in society. And so my hope is that as we continue to progress with things like gender um, equality and race-based equality and um, even uh, equality for LGBTQ people, um, I think that I'm hopeful that there's a small, a small enough group of us, but a mighty enough group of us that can start to get language to become a part of these conversations too. That's Missouri S&T English professor Sarah Hercula, author of Fostering Linguistic Equality. She spoke with St. Louis Public Radio's Jonathan All. Our Fred Ehrlich edited that report. Shula Newman is the executive editor of St. Louis Public Radio. Music by Ryan McNeely of Adult Fur. I'm Wayne Pratt. From the St. Louis Public Radio newsroom, this has been The Gateway. Support comes from Mosby Building Arts, a design-build company committed to remodeling the right way. Visit callmosby.com to get project inspiration for any room of your house.